traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. In the squadron, they called him bullets. But we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Wow. Very sad day here at WABC. Bernard McGurk, Bernie, dead at the age of just 64. Prostate cancer. Uh, devastating loss. Uh, you know, obviously a radio legend and one hell of a nice guy. Um, a real gentleman, an intellect. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, you know, you think, okay, he's going to be fine. You know, you hear about people, ah, prostate cancer. It's not, uh, well, it wasn't. It got him. Um, we have a little, um, this is a moment from the morning show. You're going to hear Bernie's voice. And gosh, Curtis Sliwa has been speaking so eloquently about him and powerfully. These guys have been through a lot. Honestly, I've met Bernie several times, but all too brief, all too brief. Um, those who know him best, though, have something to say. Go ahead. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. 77 WABC remembers our colleague, our friend, radio legend, Bernard McGurk. Good morning, God bless. Lord, hear our prayer. The I-Man's next ranch accident permanently keeps him from talking. And that he returns to New York in the condition of Stephen Hawking. (laughs) (laughs) President Trump, welcome to the brand new Bernie and Sid in the morning show on WABC. Bernard has been a friend of mine for so long. And Sid, you too, but I've known Bernard for, we don't want to say how long, right, Bernard? (laughs) No, it's been been a while. I loved you. Are you nuts? Well, you said love. Now it's in the past tense. So, no, I I, I still do. Working with me for four years, you don't hate me at this point? On certain days. Not every day, but this morning I don't hate you at all. Please join us on Tuesday morning as we will have a special tribute show honoring the life of our colleague, our friend, Bernard McGurk. All right, that'll be Tuesday. Our thoughts and prayers with his family. And um, he had two children, married, of course, Carol. Uh, just, I was really surprised. I, 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 I know he was sick, of course, but, uh, thinking about the last time I saw him just down the hall and you're always, you know, people talk about this. Oh, we're going to get together. We're going to get together. Well, you know what? Someday, someday, you know, another reminder to me to not procrastinate. No, no, no. So much I learned from Bernie. I could have probably learned a lot more had I just followed through. But, uh, uh, Bernie, by the way, was very publicly 
and interestingly and bravely opposed to the Iraq war. It's one of the few voices in America that was saying, <laughs> are we sure about this, folks? Um, a lot of people were saying that privately, but Bernie was saying it publicly. Um, a bold stance to take back in 2002, 2003. Uh, he was right. He was vindicated. I was uh, I was along with him. But uh, however, I publicly, you know, I, I think I maintained neutrality. He was he was out. And opposed and uh, taking a lot of heat for it, taking a lot of heat for it. Um, uh, an amazing entertainer and such an intellect. You know that thing that we had going, Bernie reads a lot of books. It's true. An encyclopedic memory as well. Bert Beanie, Bert beat Bernie. That was a great, great, great franchise, by the way. Uh, I was, uh, and nobody could beat him. Uh, well, occasionally, you know what I mean? On some dumb question, but on the big, tough questions, Bernie always nailed it. Uh, we're going to miss him terribly. And there's going to a lot more to say, you know, Hey, I mentioned Iraq. Uh, goodness gracious. I mean, America right now, it feels like a bloody war zone. No exaggeration. You know, local news, they've always been, they've all, if it bleeds, it leads. Remember that whole adage, right? And they're always, they were always trying to kind of make you scared, unnecessarily so. You know what I mean? They just, uh, any random murder in any random neighborhood, they try to make it a big, big deal. But no. And now it's, um, it warrants this kind of breathless coverage. It really does. That at least the locals are giving it. Nationals are kind of trying to pretend that, pardon me, everything is normal. Everything is okay. Did you see this family? A family kidnapped. In Merced, California, in the middle of the day, they're running a business, a small business. Some lunatic with a gun and a mask goes in there, ties everybody up, ties everybody up. Um, first, he focuses on the father, zip ties him, escorts him out, locks him in a car, then the wife, then the kids, and drives them off. And uh, I believe, well, they're dead now. I don't know exactly how he did it. Uh, their car was found on fire. In the middle of the day, an entire family kidnapped at gunpoint. You know, so much of this is happening because of the past two years. Criminals feel emboldened. Law enforcement feels delegitimized somewhat, right? They There's been this attempt to rein in law enforcement when really we need them. <laughs> we need them to have a to have a society. Things are we. This is not. This is not a, how a, a civil society operates. You see the videos all the time now, and maybe you see it in person, although I don't go on the subway anymore. I told you I went. A, I, basically, I stopped going on the subway this year, 2022. I got family now. I got kids. I can't be messing around down there. A couple of weeks ago, I said, all right, I'll check it out. Bad feeling. Very bad feeling. I'm not doing it. And um, granted, I can, uh, well, I can walk. I, it's a very long walk where I can take a cab or uh, even the bus or something like that. I don't mind the bus, but I'm not getting in that damn subway right now. I don't need to get into a fight. I don't want to get shot. I don't want somebody, you know, who's looking at me, who's looking at you, all that stuff. Are you looking at something? I don't need that. And uh, now you just show up. You just show up. There are people right now just, they're 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 poised to explode. And uh, so much of this was artificial, created an aftermath of that overreaction to George Floyd. Um, what a mistake that was. Yeah, okay, we got Joe Biden out of it, though, right? Black Lives Matter and uh, the COVID 
stuff that gave rise to the Biden administration. And here we are. Oh, and a lot of shenanigans with the voting. <laughs> Especially that. Absolutely. And this is still America. You know, what are they going to call me? An election denier? Hey, Joe Biden's the president. Fine. You got what you wanted. You satisfied? Are you really satisfied with this? You see what happened? How he humiliated us and hurt a lot of people. Number one, that stupid promise he made to get us off fossil fuel. He went right up to a girl. He went right up to a girl during the campaign. I'm going to get us get us off fossil fuel. I'm going to get us off. You, I, I promise you. And so it's a little bit complex, but apparently we're not applying for the leases that you ordinarily would do or grant oil companies. I think Richard Nixon granted four million of these leases and Joe Biden granted 400. OK, so there's our oil production has gone way down to the extent that we have to go ask Saudi Arabia for oil. Uh, remember, he went over there and fist bumped the uh, what's his name? Not uh, Mohammed some hmm, sorry, MBS Mohammed bin Salam, I think his name is. He's the crown prince. He is a big deal in Saudi Arabia. He's also a brutal killer, okay, and Joe Biden fist bumped him, and uh, Joe said, we need more oil, and MBS took a good look at him and said, okay, I'll think about it. Well, he thought about it, and they're cutting oil production by 2,000 barrels. They sensed weakness. They sensed a lot of things, and now it's, um, (laughs) this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. So America has got its back up against the wall. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, maybe we'll just take back our weapons systems. Yeah, we're going to take back. Uh, maybe we're not going to sell you another AWACS plane. Remember when right Reagan gave Saudi Arabia the AWACS? Anyway, we gave them a lot of stuff because they're pretty much our ally. Yeah, you know, it's not an ideal society over there by any means, but uh, you got to make friends where you can. And Saudi Arabia has been a key ally, but it looks like this is disintegrating because of incompetent leadership from Joe Biden, and it was on display. I know he, wait, what's that movie? Do you remember the Bad News Bears go to the Houston Astrodome? The Bad News Bears go to the Houston Astrodome. But the thing is, they don't want to tell their parents because they don't have a coach. Walter Matthau would not sign up for Bad News Bears too, So they didn't have a coach, and they got that guy to pretend he was the coach. He was like this... <laughs> It's like this derelict who hung around the park and they wanted him to pretend he was the coach and he was going to be there when they were all getting on the buses. And um, one of the one of the kids comes over to the other kids. And says, all right. I got I, I got him all ready to go. I got Harry. Harry's going to pretend he's the coach. And they're like, he's not going to be able to pretend convince anybody. He's crazy. I think it's going to work. I got him to say, hello. How are you? <laughs> And he just goes, that's all he says for uh, the families are there saying goodbyes. Hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? The buses pull off. Everyone's gone. Hello, how are you? That was a little bit like Joe Biden yesterday. Where was he? Florida. Florida. Where are these things? Did you hear? Oh, gosh. He he cursed. Oh, he, he, he gets there and he brags. <clears throat> he brags to somebody. Where is the, where is the thing? Oh, uh, I thought I had that in the A block. We have the Joe Biden curse word moment. He says to somebody, hey, um, nobody F's with a Biden. Cut 14, please. Cut 14. 
What nobody f's with the Biden? What is he talking about? Why would he be talking about that? He's in the middle of a disaster zone, bragging about how powerful he is, bragging about all the stuff he got away with. You know what? In a way, he's right. Maybe nobody does F with the Biden. I mean, the mainstream media, he's got them totally intimidated and obedient. Let's see. Who else? <clears throat> he's got. Um, well, there there's trouble on the horizon for Joe Biden, but he has survived a lot of weird stuff. And not like not like Donald Trump, where he survives after they come after him and try to take him down. And yet he's still standing. It's like they don't even present these questions to him. They don't even ask. The Hunter Biden laptop. Can you believe this guy can go in public and not be asked about the laptop? Right. How about Tara Reid? Do you even know who that is? I mean, she should be as ubiquitous as Christine Blasey Ford or Anita Hill. But she's why is she why is she ignored? Why is that? Gosh, Anita Hill, her accusations were pretty old by the time she got up there and tried to stop Clarence Thomas. Christine Blasey Ford, those were like 30-year-old uh, an experience, alleged experience. Anyway, Tara Reid, yeah, went right back all the way to the 90s, but she said it happened. Why did everybody ignore her? Hmm? What about all this crazy stuff in China? Why is Joe Biden pushing TikTok? You know what TikTok is? 14-year-old girls are really into TikTok, apparently, and a lot of other people. It's like the biggest thing in the world right now that I have no part of. I don't understand it. I don't want to understand it. I don't want to have anything to do with it for not only because I just it looks stupid to me, whatever. The Chinese Communist Party is using it to spread propaganda, fake news, control the conversation in America, and they're sucking data. You want you want the Chinese Communist Party potentially reading your text messages? Okay. Get rid of TikTok. That's what normal people would do when they find out what the hell's going on with it. But it's different. It's different with uh, what does he do? He invites all the TikTokers over to the White House. Cut 15. See you, Daddy. Bye. Hi, my name is Cooper, and this is a day in my life as a White House intern. We did it, Joe. <laughs> hey, everyone. Uh-oh. He's um, This kid, Cooper, is big on TikTok. Would never make it anywhere else. You know, there's so many people who are famous now that you've never heard of, including Cooper. So he has these TikTokers over to the White House regularly, gives them talking points, and then they're out there spreading these talking points. Maybe about it's about Ukraine. Maybe it's about the vaccine. Does that make sense to have TikTok to invite them in the White House and give them content when just about every reputable person out there is warning about TikTok, the corrosive effect, and how it gives China the upper hand potentially. Does that make sense? Well, it does when you when you understand just how close Joe and Hunter became with the Chinese, right? Now it starts to make a bit more sense. Hey, uh, all right, once again, we lost Bernard McGurk. I'm so sorry to report that. Bernie, we will miss you forever. Let me know what you're thinking. Give me a call, and I'll be right back. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. 
Democrats are scrambling like crazy to pretend they're pro-cop, pro-law and order. Uh, They're not. They're not. They're really, um, they're vulnerable on this because they know, oh, my God, the election and people are concerned with crime. We can't stir them up about abortion. And maybe we look like we're, you know, they used to be pro-choice. Now they're virulently pro-abortion. And that's a problem. That's a big turnoff, by the way. It's a big turnoff. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So Joe Biden came out in the campaign, no doubt about it, a thousand percent for defunding the police. Yes, he did. He told a guy named Addie Barkin during an interview that he was absolutely for defunding the police. Now, everybody out there says this does. No, that's not true. Remember, Chris Wallace sits down there, Mr. President, that's not true. He never said that. You know, it's not true. Well, it is true. But here's the thing. And Joe Biden, maybe nobody does F with Biden. Well, except me and a handful of other people. If you go looking for this clip, uh, Joe Biden said he would defund the police. Uh, it's very hard to find. <laughs> you got to go hunting and hunting and hunting and hunting and hunting. Now I... I have finally found the clip, Reuters. But you know what they do? Their whole spin on it is, fact check, political ads saying Biden wants to defund the police is misleading. Really? Really? Well, he actually agrees with moving funds from the police department to social services. This is what defunding the police is all about. And he agrees with it, at least during the campaign, when he would say anything and do anything to become president. Uh, don't forget this, okay? Don't forget the hell that they unleashed on all of us. So disruptive. So incredibly disruptive. I love taking the subway. I can't take the damn train anymore. And I don't like going to the gas station. What is it now? It was about 90 bucks the other day. At one point, it was well over 100 Well over $100 to get gas in America. In America. Uh, hmm. All right. Keep your eye on that. I think we're going to win big. I think we're going to win very, very big. But we got to start here in New York. And Lee Zeldin has a real chance, a real chance to do this. He's catching up in the polls. I don't know if you've seen what I'm doing on uh, on the Newsmax show. It's incredible what she's tweeting about, what she's focused on, while the whole world is falling apart. New York is disintegrating, and she's talking about National Pizza Day. She's talking about taking selfies with a person in Harlem. She's uh, all with the uplifting of women and girls. Uh, Joe Biden's going to be in Poughkeepsie tonight for a fundraiser. I wonder if he'll stop by Marist College and speak a bit about the father who was lost this weekend, shot to death, while participating in family day how about that one huh joe make some time i'll be right back greg kelly on the red apple podcast network once again by the awesome bill o'reilly who revolutionized cable news and also the publishing industry uh yet another massive bestseller he's out with it's called killing the legends the lethal danger of celebrity available wherever books are sold hey bill thanks for being here how are you 
I appreciate you putting me on, Kelly. Nice of you to do it. Uh, anytime. But, hey, let me ask you first. Bernard McGurk, um, we lost him at the age of 64. I'm sure you crossed paths with him, or did you? I mean, did you know Bernie sure, at all? I had him on the uh, factor. I had him on the O'Reilly factor with Gutfeld. Um, I've known uh, McGurk 20, 25 years at least. Um, and I was on in the morning with uh, WABC people talking about him. Essentially, Bernard McGurk was successful in New York, an icon here because he was authentic. You know, we, you, me, McGurk, a number of others, we have similar upbringings, Judeo-Christian, philosophy in the house, uh, ethnic Irish, uh, Long Island, he's in the Bronx, uh, originated, my father was in Brooklyn, and, you know, we grew up a certain way. Uh, loyalty is uh, very important. No BS, no spin, uh, tell it like it is. And McGurk epitomized all those things. Very uh, interesting guy, smart guy. Um, he's going to be missed by me personally and everybody, I think, who knew him. And um, I told everybody who was grieving, look, let's celebrate his life and uh, tell people you know, who exactly he was and why he was so successful on WABC. Oh, that's uh, that's awesome, uh, Bill. Hey, you know what's interesting? You mentioned Long Island. You know, so many great broadcasters from Long Island. I mean, big time. You mentioned Bernie, of course, you, Howard Stern, Geraldo Rivera. I mean, whatever you think of these guys, these are major league, you know, uh, legendary. Geraldo, household name famous, just like you, Howard Stern, all from one county. Have you ever thought of it that way? Yeah, and it's because our upbringing, when you are brought up on Long Island, but I think this applies to Jersey and Westchester and the surrounding counties of New York City, there's so many people, um, 8.5 million in the city, 16 million in uh, our area, that there's not a lot of time for uh, phoniness or uh, canopies or uh, kale. You know, it, it, you grow up in a hard, scrabble environment. Um, it's not that way so much anymore, but it, when we were growing up, it was. And you learn self-reliance. You learn to speak your mind in a way that matters, has impact. And I think that's what led to uh, the success of broadcasters on Long Island. Very interesting. Um, and, Bill, gosh, broadcasting and literature, as I like to call it, this new book is really, really interesting. And what a great idea. Celebrity can kill. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of also funny that so many people want to be famous. Do you, is this a warning to, to civilians that, you know, be careful what you wish for? Fame is not all that. Well, Killing the Legends is a two-track book. It tells you about Elvis, John Lennon, and Muhammad Ali, but it also illuminates how important they were in American history today. So Presley changed the culture in the 50s. Beatles changed the culture in the 60s. Ali changed the civil rights culture and the culture of dissent. And all of them, all three, were crushed by their celebrity. The celebrity actually destroyed them. I wanted to be famous when I was growing up in Levittown. Um, I thought it would be great. I didn't care about the mansion or Ferrari. I wanted people like in Cheers to know my name and to admire what I did for a living, which was journalism. So I, I pursued that. And foolishly, I didn't 
think about that if you're going to bloviate on radio and television every day, there are going to be people who want to hurt you. And so uh, when they came after me, I was relatively unprepared for it. All on me. I should have known better. I have a degree from Harvard. I've been around. Presley Lenin and Muhammad Ali were largely uneducated. They were smart men, but they weren't educated, and they did not have a support system. Okay, they didn't have anybody around them to protect them from the horrors of celebrity. Either people try to rip you off. They ingratiate themselves or phonies. Uh, the demands on your time are staggering. You have no privacy. Uh, you leave the house now. If you're a famous person in America, you're on tape every second. Everywhere you go, people are taping you, trying to, you know, hear what you say. You're on a cell phone camera. I mean, it's really frightening. And many people can't handle it. They just blow up. Uh, hey, wait a second. Hold on. You still there? Okay, good. I am. I, 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 um, did, did you hear that beautiful music for a moment? I don't know where the hell know, it I came from. I thought it was angels coming <laughs> Hey, uh, you know, you said there's nobody there for him and uh, people exploiting and whatever. Elvis Presley, let's... I remember well when he died. I was a little kid. I also remember finding out, and I think I may have seen a picture of him at the funeral. He had a father. He had a father who was, you know, probably in his 60s. Where was he? And and couldn't he? I'm surprised that he did not, you know, try to straighten out Elvis a little bit. He was cashing the checks. That's where he was, Vernon Presley, cashing those checks. Elvis Presley was not an introspective man. Um if I were his father, I certainly would have put a stop to it, but there would be a good chance that Elvis would have thrown my butt right out of the house and banished me from his life. Uh, Elvis um, wanted immediate gratification. He was in pain a lot of the time, and he wanted to take drugs to dull the pain, and that's what he did. If you look at Elvis Presley 1968, you Google it today, you'll see a guy at the top of his game, magnificently talented uh, ten years later, you can't believe it's the same human being. And he had to know it, unless there weren't any mirrors in Graceland. He had to know he was going down, and he continued to do the self-destructive stuff. And in his inner circle, nobody was telling him to stop because he wouldn't listen, and he didn't like that kind of advice. Hmm. Hey, how about this today? How How different is it being famous today than, say, in 1977, 1980. I, I picked those years because those are the years that uh, Elvis died and uh, John Lennon died. What's fame like today compared to back then? Well, the Internet has changed everything. The cell phone cameras have changed everything. Um, and now uh, if you are famous in the United States, you are not a person. You are a commodity, a thing. So people can go on the uh, Internet sites and rip you up and defame you and say horrible things about you and your, of course, family hears and sees that. Collateral damage to uh, children of the famous is, is incredible, absolutely incredible. And it's one of the reasons I included the suicide of Elvis Presley's grandson. Um, I included it in Killing the Legends because I said the collateral damage is unbelievable here. So fame is dangerous, um, and I pick these three guys because they're the top of the line. They are the ones that changed our culture. They're not Michael Jackson or Prince or John Belushi or Marilyn Monroe. They all went down, but they did not have the 
enormous influence on the way we live today as these three men did. And I think you said that uh, Elvis, before Elvis, I mean, you can see it. You can look up pictures from, they say, 1950, 1952, 1953. Take a look at commuters. Take a look at people heading into the city or walking down Fifth Avenue. Everybody is almost wearing a uniform. And 20 years later, everybody is different. Everybody is kind of – and I was thinking about it because I, I that that really – is that Elvis's response? Did Elvis do that? He did it single-handedly. He blew up the conformist culture going on Ed Sullivan singing a dopey song called Hound Dog. And in six minutes, the entire American culture collapsed. And the next day, pastors, preachers were saying that Elvis Presley was the ally of the devil. Parents were yelling at their boys, you can't slick your hair back, you can't wear the leather jacket. Elvis won. Rock and Roll Rebellion came in, and then it stayed until the Beatles came over, and they changed the culture again into sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which we have now. And it's just an amazing historical perspective when you step back. And most people don't know any of this. And that's why I wrote Killing the Legends, because I want people to know about their culture. Well, let me ask you this, though. So, you know, in retrospect, and we've all seen the movies, I think it was Footloose, you know, the uptight preacher is there saying this is the devil's work, this is the devil's music. And we, we to this day, chuckle, oh, gosh, you know, they were so square. And, of course, you know, who doesn't like rock and roll? But looking back and looking back what's happened to our culture and the drugs you mentioned, I mean, weren't they probably more right than wrong or not right? That's an interesting question, Kelly. So whenever you have change, it can get out of control. And the cultural change in America did. So I was in college during the Vietnam era, the protest era, that got out of control. It got out of control. People were getting blown up. Uh, Kent State, uh, it, was, it was Black Panthers. It was incredible what happened. It, then the culture went back a little bit. All right, it, it was exhausted by all this. But now, with a cultural civil war between the progressives, which hate America and want to change everything about it, and the traditional people like you and me, who feel that, we're the most successful nation on earth for a reason. Our traditions made us that way. So now we're in that culture war. But it did. All the dissent began with Elvis, the Beatles, Muhammad Ali. It all began. And dissent is good. You don't want to conform any nation. Okay? That's, we don't want to be Japan here. Um, we want to have robust debate. But you've got to control it. And right now, it's out of control in America. Yeah, it really feels that way. Hey, let me ask you, did you see Joe Biden walking around Florida yesterday? Uh, some people say he was, uh, oh, he was pretty good, said the right thing. I feel the opposite. But what do you think? Uh, I, I'm, I don't have any beef with Biden uh, going down there and, um, you know, bringing money. That's what Biden does. He brings money wherever he goes, money, 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 money. Uh, but I... I am much more concerned about his inability to govern the nation than taking a train, uh, plane trip to Florida. I, I thought that was fine. But the man is downright dangerous. He is getting us – two years ago, we had the most vibrant economy on earth. 
And look at it now in the space of two years. And it's going to get worse under this guy. He's totally a hostage of the far, far, far left. And he won't solve any problem because he doesn't even understand the problems. And that's why the midterms coming up in uh, four and a half weeks are vital. Can I ask you about the hostage comment? So, like, I have this theory that if he were to go rogue, (laughs) to be anything like the centrist he once pretended to be a long time ago, and in some ways actually was, if he went centrist, I feel like he's vulnerable. The DOJ would be unleashed. Uh, He's vulnerable personally. Hunter Biden is vulnerable. And I think the people that he works for, (laughs) Susan Rice and Barack Obama, they just they just wouldn't have it. So it's not a matter of just maintaining the support of the far left. I mean, he's got real practical concerns. If he gets out of line, they will unleash the hounds of hell. It's beyond that now. So Biden is not going to run again. There's no way. He may not even make out his last two years. Don't be surprised if you wake up and there's a I have to resign because of health reasons memo. He's through. The Democratic Party knows he's finished. And the proof of that is there isn't one Democrat running for House or Senate that has asked for Biden to to campaign for them. Not one. Is that an amazing situation? Mm. Nobody wants him. He's radioactive. But here's the kicker. Joe Biden sold his soul for fame and power. He repudiated every single belief that he had. Everyone. Abortion, crime, taxes, uh, immigration, all of it. He's now the opposite of what he was. And he did it so he could become president. Fame crushed him in that way. Wow. Wow, it sure did, and we're living with it. We're living with it. Well, we're the victims. We, we're the victims. Please check out the book. A Bill O'Reilly book is a real gem and a real pleasure. Um, all of them are fantastic, but the latest one, Killing the Legends, The Lethal Danger of Celebrity, of course, available wherever books are sold. Hey, Bill, you personally, do you read on a Kindle or do you like the hard copies? No, I read the book. Yeah, I, I'm not a big uh, high-tech guy. I, I, I want the book, and I get it actually in newspapers. I get them delivered every morning. Newspapers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the news The news guy loves me. I'm the only client he's got. <laughs> wow. I was a, you know, I was a Newsday paper boy. I wonder if they have them anymore, paper boys. Remember paper boys? Well, you got boys. guys that drive by and throw the papers on your uh, driveway. <laughs> yeah, I did it for my bicycle. Uh, hey, Bill O'Reilly, you're the best. Thank you so much. And check out BillOReilly.com. BillOReilly.com. It's all there. Bill O'Reilly, thanks for being with us. The legend. Yeah, thanks for having me in, uh, Kelly. I really appreciate it. We'll talk again soon, I hope. You bet, sir. Take care, and we'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This book is uh, is a great one, is a gem, another one. All right, so, hey, we started off this hour talking about Bernie McGurk, uh, Bernard McGurk. Lost him way too young, just 64. And Charlie is calling from Fishkill. Hi, Charlie. Hey, hey, how you doing? Um, hello? Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, I just want to, I know you're into running. I started running when I was 30 years old. I ran for 30 years. I did 26 
uh, marathons, seven Bostons, five New Yorks. Um, and anyway, I sent you, a, I wrote a little pamphlet uh, quite a few years ago, and it was about tips on marathoning, but it's tips for anybody. And I sent it to you. I, would, I didn't know, what, I didn't know whether you ever got it or anything. Uh, I got a big, I'm a little bit behind on my mail. I haven't seen it yet. I'll look for it. Thank you very much. I don't see me running a marathon, though. I don't think I want to run a marathon. I just want to keep in shape. I don't, I don't need to go 26 miles. You run seven miles, you're good. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, they were just tips. And listen, I don't, I, I don't want to keep you, but I came down this morning. My wife was on the stairs, and she was crying. And she was good. I get choked up, too. She was crying because she heard that Bernie died. And then you started crying. And then I started crying. Just Uncontrollable. Both of us. We just love the man. We love all you guys. Yeah, all you guys. Oh, jeez. Oh, I mean, really, like, he, you feel like he's your brother. You know what I mean? What's your name, ma'am? Oh, Madeline. <laughs> Hi, Charlie and Madeline on the phone. Uh yeah, that was, uh, and, you know, we, we, we knew he was sick, but uh, it was a shock, wasn't it? It was a real shock this morning. So, well, and you never met him. I mean, you you just knew him from the radio, right? Yes. I mean, I've been listening since the 80s, Bill Bresnan, way back. I have had this talk radio on. But um, Bernie had said in the past, he said he will fight this. And if it's not God's will that he heals, he has had a great life, and he accepts that. I mean, he is such a beautiful was, man. Yeah. He just can't help but love him. It's, like, unbelievable. Well. I don't know if you heard him say that, but he has said that, you know. Hey, a call like this from you, Charlie, and Madeline, so emotional about a guy you never actually met, but you do know him well from the radio, that really is amazing. And I know many thousands uh, of people are, are right there with you. Thank you both very, very much. Charlie, I'll be looking for those tips and Madeline, thank you for calling, and uh, all the best. Uh, there's going to be a special programming on Tuesday, and uh, we'll keep you updated about funeral arrangements and, and the like. Thank you both. And Johnny is in Queens. Um, hi, Johnny. Hi, Greg. How are you? Um, I don't want to steal anybody's thunder, but I'm, I'm just uh, heartbroken over the loss of Bernie McGirt. Um What an icon. Uh, and one of the things wrong with our society today is they don't make people like him anymore. Uh, old school guy, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal. Him and Bernie and Sid. In fact, it seems like yesterday I was considered the best caller for the day when he and John Kazmatidis did the morning show because Sid Rosenberg had to go to his daughter's graduation. And I described how the flights were literally coming in up to Stewart Airport. I moved up to Sullivan County. And now up in Sullivan County, we're starting to see numerous illegals, which is something you never saw before. And it was very difficult for guys like me who are getting older to get any kind of job at this point. And Bernie's, Bernie took that into account and really took that into consideration, as did John. And then a few weeks after that, just recently, it seems like yesterday, I got on the show and played him in the beat Bernie. And, of course, I lost. Yeah. And, um, you know, I asked Bernie, I said, Bernie, by the way, did you happen to get the book that I sent to you? And he said to me, no, as a matter of fact, I did not. Where did you send it? And I told him I sent it to the P.O. box uh, for WABC. And he said he never received it. So I Googled the office, thinking I just come to the building and hand it to the security guard. And I actually got his address in, I think it's Lido Beach, Nassau County. And I sent it to his home, which he received. And I prayed to God that he would recover. And as he was recovering, he would read the thing. And then when I heard he had the appendix situation... Uh, I just knew, oh, my God, this is not going to be good at all. So I pray for him. I pray for you, too, as well, Greg. I listen to you all the time. You guys are all godsends. Your father served the city 
uh, of New York uh, uh, phenomenally. I don't have words to describe that. Johnny, I can't. I I don't have words to describe my gratitude. I'm so thankful. Keep in touch, okay? I got to take a break. Thank you, sir. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh oh. He's trying it again. Joe Biden is speaking live right now in Poughkeepsie up there at IBM, and he's. Grabbing the microphone and walking around, walking around. Oh, boy. Stick to the script, Joe. This does not end well, usually. Let's see what's going on. Just a little bit. Proud legacy, not only for IBM, but for the country. A legacy of innovation and manufacturing that exists in this region of New York. It was here in Poughkeepsie where the rifles for World War I were made, where the first electric typewriters, calculators, even cough drops were made. I brought some with me. And it's here now where the Hudson Valley could become the epicenter of the future of quantum computing, the most All advanced right. and fastest. I'm computing. sorry. In honor, again, of Bernie McGurk, I'm going to turn that off. I can't take it. I just can't take it. No way. No way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And let's talk about Bernie. Bernard McGurk, legendary radio broadcaster, died yesterday at the age of 64 after a battle with prostate cancer. Uh, Bernie uh, gosh, did you hear those uh, people who called from upstate, Charlie and Madeline? Uh, they were crying inconsolably this morning, inconsolably, and they were still crying. And that's that's the impact he had on countless, countless people all over the place. Um, my regret is I didn't get to know him better. Now, you know, two ships passing in the night, but I did have about two or three pretty meaningful conversations, and um, I was so appreciative of his talent, I heard him much more on the radio than in than in real life, um, fantastic broadcaster. You know, broadcasting is um, some people view it as a science. I believe Bernie viewed it as an art, and I tend to view it the same way. And he was a master artist, truly um, great with this medium. Um, and some you know took some knocks along the way. Remember that whole fiasco with. Uh, with um, uh, Imus and the the, the college uh, situation, but uh, he handled that very, very well and bounced back. And, you know, sometimes God will allow adversity in your life, um, not only to test you, but to get you to a better place, a higher place, and to bring out things in you. And, uh, well, we're going to miss Bernie dearly. We'll have a special show dedicated to uh, special programming all day on Tuesday, and I think there's going to be a mass at St. Patrick's Cathedral and uh, a lot of other events uh, commemorating, celebrating our friend Bernie, who's um, has gone way to, gosh, 64. That is, uh, that you know, at one point in America, 64 was like, okay, yeah, 64, 65, Life expectancy now for a man, I think, is what is life expectancy in America for a man? I think it's like 78. So this is very, very premature. But um, it is. And uh, what else? There'll, there'll be more to say later. And I appreciate your phone calls um, about this as well. Uh, thank you. If you want to weigh in, you can also go to our website. There's a big kind of memorial there. And, and people are encouraged to leave their their comments, their um their memories and uh, whatever you want to say about Bernie, you are welcome to do it. Uh, now, back to uh, well, the guy we were just talking about. I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm I'm done with him. I really am. And it looks like he might be done. Period. 
I predicted last night, spur of the moment, that he will, and Bill O'Reilly just backed me up on this, but there's no way that Joe Biden is president one year from now. It's just, just not going to work. It's just not going to happen. He's going to have to resign. That's what I see. And then, you know, when, one interesting thing about Joe Biden yesterday on the ground there in Florida with Ron DeSantis, it's not often that you see two presidents together. And I do think Ron DeSantis will be president someday. Not in 2024, but 2028, 2032. Wait, what's 20 years from now? 2042. Oh, my gosh. 20, 2042 is an election year. Well, why 2042? You know how old Ron DeSantis will be in 2042? <laughs> 62 years old. <laughs> He'll be 17 years younger than Joe Biden. It was kind of interesting. I, I saw them yesterday shaking hands, and I realized, wow, Ron DeSantis was born in 1978. What was Joe Biden doing in 1978? Campaigning for his second term in the United States Senate. He'd already been a senator for six years when there was a little baby infant uh, named Ronald somewhere in Florida, destined to be president, probably the 47th or 48th president of the United States. You ever think about that? Who's the next president? You know, who? who is the next president? I, I think it's Trump. But where is the president who's uh, going to be president, say, in 10 years? 10 years from now, who is that person? Do we know who they are? Are they on the national scene yet? Or is it a complete unknown? You know, Barack Obama was a complete unknown. In 2001, George W. Bush becomes president. And there's Barack Obama, who's a state senator in Illinois. Nobody, you know, just that's it. He had just lost a race for the Congress. He was going nowhere. His political career had totally stalled. A state lawmaker. (laughs) Do you know who your state senator is? Do you know who your assembly person is? These are not household name people. You know, they're worker bees, whatever, uh, who have the political bug. But imagine that. In 2001, he was the next president of the United States. Nobody knew it. He didn't know it. Can I hear from Ron DeSantis? Uh, This is a guy who's got it going on. Cut 11. There have been close to 100,000 structures in the most hard-hit areas that have been searched. Uh, We've deployed resources that were pre-staged and are now in the field for food, water, and other types of supplies. There's 28 different points of distribution across the affected areas. 45 million bottles of water have been served. That's very good. He was just on top of it, totally on top of it um, throughout it all. And they already fixed a bridge that looked like it was in shambles and it was going to take months to repair. It's already been repaired. Um, now, as for Joe Biden down there, yeah, I know what Bill said. He, yeah, this is what they do. That, but there were th- there was plenty down that I saw that I found really reprehensible conduct. For instance, they give a straightforward press conference about, you know, what's going on on the ground. And then Joe Biden, right in front of DeSantis, but he walks away from him mischaracterizes the whole damn thing. Uh, let's see here. Cut 12. Today we have one job. Oh, stop that. Stop job. that. Stop that. That, that, was the, that was the point where hey, maybe we should. Here's the one time he sounded reasonable. Cut 12. Today we have one job and only one job, and that's to make sure the people of Florida get everything that they need to fully, thoroughly recover. We're one of the few nations in the world that on a basis of a crisis we face, we're the only nation that comes out of it better than we went into it. And that's what we're going to do this time around. And then, all right, 
And then he's got to talk politics. No one's talking about global warming or climate change. We've had devastating hurricanes before, but here he goes. And he mischaracterizes what uh, anything that DeSantis has uh, pretty much ever said, I think. Cut 13, please. Thank you. Watch it. Walking away. What the governor's done is pretty remarkable so far. I mean, this is what, what, he's, what he's done. In terms of, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, first of all, the biggest thing the governor's done and so many others have done, they've recognized this thing called global warming. The world is changing. All right, you see? The biggest thing that Governor DeSantis has done is say this is because of global warming. He has not done that. He's not blamed this on climate change. That's a whole other discussion. And that's a, that wasn't, he miscarried, he did it right in front of him too. Well, he actually ran, he ran about 12 feet away and he gave him some space there to mischaracterize uh, Governor DeSantis. What a cheap, and then he's going around cursing. I'm sorry. Look, who doesn't say the F word? I know it's unfortunate, but it's said. But wasn't he supposed to be President Normalcy, right? Going to bring back our precious norms? Well, it's not normal for presidents to curse. Sorry. Yes. Did <laughs> did Donald Trump curse? Yes. But he wasn't a politician. That was part of the deal. This is the seasoned politician who is going to bring everything back to normal. Is this normal? Cut 14. Thanks for coming down. We appreciate it. Uh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right. Notice. Oh, gosh. Eh, what the hell's going on here? I found out somebody I want on my show is on another show. What the hell's going on? Why? Ah, uh, damn it. This hasn't happened in a while or somebody else gets a guess that I want. Hmm, what should I do about it? Should I call my agent? <laughs> call my agent, right? What are they going to do? <laughs> I mean, really, you can. People think, I'm going to call my agent. Well, all right. Yeah, you win some, you lose some. I don't need no stinking guests on my show. Uh, on the TV show, by the way, I do a lot of the heavy lifting myself, if you haven't noticed. That's one of the things that makes it really special. Uh, hey, here's something. Uh, Kathy Hochul. Kathy Hochul can win this thing, uh, but I believe she will be thwarted by Lee Zeldin, and that is my hope. Kathy Hochul is terrible, and look at this new poll out by the Trafalgar Group. Uh, it's got him within less than, he's less than three points back. Oh, my gosh. Wait a second. He's less than two points back. He's 1.9 points behind Kathy Hochul. I think he's going to win, and he deserves to win. This Kathy Hochul is burying her head in the sand, just hoping, praying that times go, time goes by, and this overwhelmingly Democrat state, out of muscle memory, will uh, vote for her vapid, silly, Botox nonsense. She doesn't deserve it. Listen to this. How out of touch do you have to be? Listen to what's happening around her. Crime and mayhem. And listen to what she's talking about. Cut 35. Oh, I'm sorry. Cut 18. 
by the year 2035, and I signed this goal last year, we've achieved that milestone that we can be zero emission vehicles. New vehicles all be zero emission vehicles by the year 2035. Uh, in <laughs> Zero emission vehicles by the year 2035. There's crime right now. There's horrendous crime right now. Did you see the Green Goblin group running all over the place? This is happening right now. This is happening right now. Another thing that's happening right now, it's going to get worse. Remember Joe Biden was going to, uh, with his diplomatic and political skill, get the Saudis to give us more oil, to sell us more oil? You know that's not happening. They're giving us the Saudi middle finger. I remember when he went over there. Listen to this. Oh, boy, he was going to make the case. Cut 19. But after promising during the 2020 presidential campaign to make Saudi Arabia a pariah, for the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi, the president traded tough talk for fist bumps, urging the oil-rich nation to boost production amid rising pressure to combat sky-high inflation and soaring gas prices. The Saudis made no such guarantee during the trip. Hmm, no such guarantee during the trip. Uh, This is back in July. Uh, Let's see what happened after that. Cut 20. The president did leave with an expectation that more oil will be flowing into the market that could bring Americans some relief, but there was no firm announcement. Hmm. And two months later, we get the answer. No! (laughs) And we need this oil because Joe Biden has done everything he can to reduce oil production in America. He did this to us. And now... It's going downhill from here because now we've got some people in Congress talking about not giving Saudi Arabia American weapons anymore. Uh, something tells me they just might be fine for, with that. They'll get them elsewhere. We're losing our position in the world, and it's dangerous. I'll be back. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Oh, boy. I don't want to be a downer, but everybody's going to die. Oh, my goodness gracious. If you are alive, one day you will die. You know when I realized that when I was a little kid? And I think it was, what movie was it? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Anyway, they showed those orderlies running around. And then they, you know, they, well, an orderly someday will be taking care of me. You know, an orderly, you know, they, they put you on the stretcher. It's going to happen. Death is a part of life. I heard Wayne Dyer say that, and it's true. It's a natural part of life. But many of us believe, um, especially Christians, that uh, Bernard McGurk is with God right now. I do believe that. Um, Ellen is on the phone, and Manhattan wants to say something about Bernie. Hi. Hi, Greg. Uh, I met Bernie a, a few times. I'm a stand-up comedian, and in 2018 and 2019, Bernie and Sid did a comedy night. The first one was at the Cutting Room. The second one was at the Hard Rock Cafe. And he was just so lovely and so kind and and so brilliant. And then they invited me on their show twice, once when I did the show, and then the second time I wrote a children's book. And they invited me on, and um, it was so funny. I'm Greek, and Bernie just loved that I was Greek. And he's like, I grew up with the Greeks. And on, on air, he said a Greek word, which was actually uh, a bad word. And all I kept thinking was, oh, my gosh, I hope they don't get fined. I hope they don't get fined. <laughs> uh, so, but he was 
he the way that he spoke especially in politics you know people are so emotional and they just throw everybody in a category and he was so great in his analysis he backed it up with facts and he was uh, he was certainly about the work it wasn't about the celebrityness um, he was just, he was really an amazing, and it's a huge loss for the Republican slash conservative slash independent community. Um, but I wanted to call in. Thank you for giving me the time to say just how how kind he was. And he was one of these people that when he spoke to you, it was just you. He wasn't distracted. It wasn't about him. He gave you his focus. And rest in peace. In Greek, we say, uh, may his memory be eternal. And 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 it will be. Very beautiful, Ellen. So you're a stand-up comedian. Can you, what's your last name? Karis. K-A-R-I-S. K-A-R-I-S. Ellen Karis. When's your next gig? Uh, it's actually this weekend in Massillon, Ohio, at Crackpot Comedy Club. Um, you, I, I just have to say this quickly. When you were on the TV station years ago, you and I had a correspondence. You had reached out to me because I think they were trying to have stand-ups on your uh, on your early morning show. But anyway, it never came to fruition. Uh, gee. Uh, well, actually, that was my idea. I started having uh, stand-ups come on and uh, do a, you know, a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought it was great. We did it only a handful of times, maybe a half dozen times, and uh, we wanted you on, huh? Uh, yeah, well, I, I have an email from you personally. And that's not why I called. I called about Bernie, but since you asked me, yes. I wonder how um, that started. Did I meet you somewhere? I, you know what? I might have I might have actually reached out to you, and then you. Well, quite frankly, back. that sounds a little bit better. I like you know. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? No, it doesn't. Uh, El, uh, I, Ellen, thank you very very much. Thanks for your memories and kind words about about Bernie. We will never forget. What did you say? Yeah, the memory is eternal. I love it. Be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Just looking at the strangest video. Joe Biden uh, taking questions from reporters, and at the end of it, he's on the White House lawn, and he's on his way to the helicopter. He stops to talk to the reporters, and then he just walks backwards from them, like walks in reverse for, like, way too long, like four steps too long. It just looks weird going backwards like that. As he's looking forward, he's walking backwards, and he turns and he waves, and he walks to that, that helicopter. You'd be surprised how much even a guy like Joe Biden, who's been you know vice president, like he just loves that helicopter, loves the trappings of the office. You know, that was one of the many amazing things about Trump. He had a helicopter in 1982. It was just no big deal having a helicopter. These other guys, it rocks their world. It changes them. They can't figure. Oh, my God, I have all this stuff. I must be amazing. You know, I saw somebody say, you know, Donald Trump doesn't seem to be transformed by the presidency. You know, it was like a day later, January 21st. And you know how he can walk? It's funny. For a guy with a lot of energy, sometimes he walks a little bit with his head down. He might walk a little bit on the slow side. I don't say this is a point of criticism, but he does not have a high-energy walk, Donald Trump. But he's got amazing energy, of course. It doesn't matter how you walk, but he happens to have a... Because and he wasn't changed, he wasn't blown away. You know, Bill Clinton, uh, I, I'm I'm the president now. 
I get this White House and I get a jet and I get a helicopter and I get all these girls who work here and they think I'm the, and I'm the president. Wow. Oh, man. Oh, man. I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to have some fun. Oh, boy. What would you say your name was? Monica. That's a beautiful name. You know what I mean? So, uh, and, and, and Trump had all that stuff before. He had the fame. He has money. All these guys want fame and money, really. Um, he knew what it was like to be adored by crowds. These other guys don't know what it's like. Well, Joe Biden still doesn't know what it's like, right? Hey, remember when Kamala Harris was talking about uh, equity in the aftermath of the hurricane? And that's code for race. It is. Make no mistake about it. It's code for race. I got to do this as a refresher because I saw something. Uh, They're carrying her racist water. All right. Listen to her first. Cut 21. It is our um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and and impacted by by issues that are not of their own making and, and so women. we absolutely and so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity understanding that we we fight for equality but we also need to fight for equity understanding not everyone starts out at the same place and if we want people to be in an equal place, sometimes we have to take into account those disparities um, and, and do that work. Well, what does that mean? Uh, that means um, that's code for race. And then she was mocked. She was really mocked for that. Like, come on, you're talking about that now? Well, her press people got busy. They had a talk with NBC News and the very top story NBC News is talking about this racial stuff in the aftermath of the hurricane. Cut 22. FEMA has been on the ground, but miles from the coast in predominantly black and Hispanic neighborhoods, some say help has not arrived. Do you feel ignored here? Yes, very much. No Red Cross, no FEMA, no nothing. No Red Cross, no FEMA, no nothing. You see how they're just stirring the pot, the fake news? He admits in this story, by the way, that this is an inland community that has not been nearly as damaged as some of the ones on the coast. Right. He, he just says that out loud. But he just says it to get it in there. And then he resumes stirring the pot, trying to get these people upset. You know, you'd be surprised how often a reporter, you know, who's supposed to report, you go there and you find out what people are thinking and then, oh, wow, it's interesting. Or you go to f- learn something. Oh, this is interesting. And then you try to present it to other people. That's really not the way it works. It's usually <laughs> a reporter comes up with an idea in their head. I want to tell a story about people who are uh, feeling aggrieved because they're black and they're not getting enough resources. And then you go out and you find people to tell the story you want told. It's, you, you get it? You get it how it's backwards? Cut 23. Now they're concerned they won't get the aid they need. A recent study shows communities with large populations of black, Hispanic, or Native American residents often receive less money from FEMA than mostly white communities. Than mostly white communities. The study is a couple years old, whatever. It's a private study. Who did it? Who knows? But here's something. If your house is damaged, okay, you're going to hopefully get the amount of money you need to fix the house, right? You're not supposed to get rich in the aftermath of a storm. You're not supposed to get out, right? And they do briefly acknowledge that, you know, 
I'm sorry, but in some communities, it's it's based on home value, right? But in our systemically racist society, why are the, why are certain homes valued less? You get it? You get what they're talking about? Uh, one more, Lester Holt, who's a big racial justice warrior here. Um, I think he does it for internal reasons more than anything else. But uh, here we go. Cut twenty four. Carrie, I'm curious to know what FEMA's response is to getting aid to minority communities. Well, Lester, tonight FEMA tells NBC News they're working to reach the immediate needs of survivors while at the same time expand initiatives to get out to those vulnerable and underserved communities. Uh, Does everything in the world have to be about race, huh? Does everything in the world have to be about race? Um, Hey, last thing on... Uh, the White House for today, because I can't stand what's happening. I really, really don't like it. But they got this new press secretary. In addition to KJP, they had to back her up with a guy named John Kirby. Kirby. And he looks like a he looks like an overeager game show host from 1967. That's how he dresses. But for whatever reason, he's doing all of his uh, briefings from home. Have you seen this guy on the news? He's he's always home. He's always at home, and he's got little knickknacks. He's in he's in his little he's in his den. He's the White House press secretary. Cut thirty two, please. Here's the guy I'm talking about. Clearly, the president was disappointed by this decision at a time, Neil, when supply really matters, particularly because of the war that is waging in Ukraine. Any any cut to that supply actually just works to the benefit of Russia, who continues to try to run up the table on prices here to get more revenue to. Uh, to finance his war-making machine inside Ukraine. So very disappointing. Very disappointing. Yet another disappointment. It reminds me of what President Trump said when he came down the escalator in 2015. Do you remember what he said? This is what I remember. I remember it so well. He said, America doesn't win anymore. We used to win, but we don't anymore. And I tell you, that got me right in the gut. It's like, damn. He's right. And I remember looking at Rosanna, and she looked at me, and there was something about that. It really, he captured the malaise that really had kind of enveloped the country. And one of the first things I thought of, and it's not central necessarily, and it, it but it was one pet peeve of mine, that we had not been, <laughs> that we had lost the space shuttle, and we did not have any way to get our astronauts into space other than getting a ride from the Russians. That's not right. That was just wrong. And that we had not been to the moon since 1972, in addition to a lot of other things, right? You know, stalemate war in Afghanistan, screwing it up in Iraq. We had not won. And now here we are, back to losing. Back to losing. Is that what he said? Disappointing? Cut 32. One more time. Clearly, the president was disappointed by this decision at a time, Neil, when supply really matters, Mm -hmm. particularly because of the war that is waging in Ukraine. Any any cut to that supply actually just works to the benefit of Russia, who continues to try to run up the table on prices here to get more revenue to to finance his war-making machine inside Ukraine. So very disappointing. Yeah, very disappointing. Again, again with you guys. Again, again, again. Putin. Putin, Putin's fault. Hey, by the way, why do we back ourselves into such a corner? And I want to say again, why aren't we talking about peace over there? I'd like to see some peace. It's like we're just we just want you. Usually there's not a total victory. 
for either side, right? Isn't there supposed to be a negotiated settlement at some point? I'd like to see peace. I'd like to see Pete. You'd be surprised. I go around and say, what about a peace settlement? They look at me like, how dare you? How dare you say that? How What? Since when is that taboo? When is it taboo? And quite frankly, I don't care too much. I don't want there to be war. Big countries invade small countries. But now we, we can't even talk to Putin. We're too busy calling him a war criminal, this, that, and the other thing. Oh, my gosh. He's got to. Well, he's still there. He's still there. And everybody understands, again, at the gut level, that that invasion would not have happened if President Trump were still in office. I looked it up. I looked at their Helsinki address. You know, Biden did not have the personal strength to appear with Putin in public. You know, he didn't. All right. Hey, what's going on locally? Anything new? I mean, we got to get this. Uh, we got to get Zeldin in there. Uh, Adams is <laughs> oh, Adams is Adams. What a disgrace. What a disgrace. I told you guys. I really did. Everybody was saying, oh, this guy sounds great. As a matter of fact, do I have that stupid? Uh, where's that? Never mind. I, I should not say the word stupid so much, by the way. Uh, I'm going to eliminate it from my um, my vocabulary for the time being. Colonel Jerry, what's this uh, from Long Island? Who are you? Hey, Greg. Can you hear me? Yes. Hey, you uh, you know the name Dan Fernandez, right? Remember the MTU? Ah, yes. I uh, was his assistant. I know you. Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jerry, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? You sound great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. How's uh, Tell everybody what a stud I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, you do a good job of that yourself, Greg. <laughs> uh, but, yes, you were. You were. Uh, I learned everything I know from Greg Kelly, everybody. He's uh he was a good man. Oh, Jerry, I don't know about this. You sound a little bit, no. uh, I don't know, Jerry. I thought you were on my side. I remember you. I came in and I revolutionized that uh, public affairs program. That, 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 uh, what was it called again? What do we call that thing? The East Coast Commanders Media Symposium. That's right. And uh, I had to break a few eggs to make that omelet. Remember? I remember it well, and we had a great time doing it. And no. uh, breaking the eggs was the best part. <laughs> Jerry, uh, thank you for your support then and uh, now. And uh, how's life? Are you still in the reserves? Uh, no, they retired me. I am very old. Uh, uh, up or out. So, yeah. Uh, I'm, sl- I'm just a little bit older than you, as a matter of fact. But uh, Dan uh, just retired, actually. Yes, I and, know. Uh, and... Uh, I wanted to let you know that uh, that symposium is the reason why I, I was the one who incorporated Bernie McGurk into the symposium back many, many years ago. No kidding. Really? Prior to, prior to 9-11. I actually introduced Bernie to Rich Lowry. So let me tell you what we're uh, talking about here. Uh, what we would do in the Marine Corps, uh, in the reserves, this little unit that I was a part of, great unit, Dan Fernandez, great Marine, so are you, Jerry. Uh, but we would send... The Pentagon would send newly appointed Marine Corps commanders to New York City for what we call the East Coast Media Symposium to get them up to speed, to try to educate them on what's really what's what in the world of media, because a lot of these guys would be called upon to grant interviews. They'd have to deal with the media at a high level. And we tried to offer them some training and some awareness. And uh, I thought it was a great uh a, a great symposium uh, even before I got there. Really, the stuff that was is very thoughtful when you think about it for the Marine Corps and for the Pentagon to do this kind of thing. You know what I mean? To 
to to even oh. think, you know, we're going to send these guys up to the New York Times and and see what they can learn and and get a conversation going. Really, really sophisticated, and also just good hearted. I loved it. Yeah, it was great. And um, when I first joined it, um, right, right, like, I think a year before nine eleven, so it goes way back. Um, when I first got there, it was it was one hundred percent MSM. It was all old media. It was the New York Times. It was the old, you know, the and we got A listers. I mean, we had everybody, uh, all the main network anchors would come. They'd rotate through, but it was all one sided. So I remember I was friendly. I knew Ber- Bernie anyway. Uh, we were both from. Uh, he had worked in Yonkers. I, I grew up there, and uh, we had become friendly. And I had gone to visit him at IMAS a few times, and we had hung out. So I said, "Why don't you come? Because you'd be great. You'd lighten it up, and you give a different perspective." And uh, it was well, he was. And uh, so yeah, I, I had gotten to know him pretty well over the course of over twenty years. And uh, that uh, element of it kind of just grew. And then we ended up we added Lowry from National Review. Uh, Bernie actually instigated a, a little bit of a fight between Lowry and uh, Dan Rather one year, which was phenomenal. Very entertaining. Very good stuff. Very good stuff. All right. Well, hey, it's great to hear from you, Jerry. Keep in touch. You have my number and uh, to be continued. And, uh, hey, Bernie McGurk, huh? volunteering to help great out man. the Marine Help out the Marine Corps. Yeah, great man great indeed. Never, never said no. And uh, this is an honor of him. And, hey, go get your PSA check, guys. Yes, indeed. Yep, yep, got to do that. PSA check. The doctor can hook you up. Thank you, uh, Jerry, and we'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is um, a, a, a big story with some caveats. In the Washington Post just a little while ago, uh, let's see here. Federal agents say they have enough evidence to charge Hunter Biden with tax crimes and making a false statement while buying a gun. This is people are calling this a bombshell report. Now look, we all know that he's guilty of stuff, but that their federal agents talking about this to the Washington Post, that indicates that possibly possibly they may be close to filing charges against Hunter Biden. Uh this is stuff that I already knew, but the fact that it's in the Washington Post suggests that they are moving closer and closer to uh, arresting and indicting potentially Hunter Biden. That would be really something. Now, on the bright side for Hunter Biden, uh, the gun charge, which I think he clearly, clearly is guilty of. You know, he had a gun and he threw it into a dumpster. <laughs> it's just totally crazy. Or his, his girlfriend did. Remember Hunter's wife? I'm sorry, Bo's wife, who he was dating, threw the damn thing away. It's just crazy stuff with this kid. But not a kid. He's 50-something years old. Anyway, he, on the form to get the gun permit, swore that he had never used drugs. Well, we all know that he was a drug addict, so that's one thing. But I don't think he can get in a lot of trouble for that. I mean, it's probably punishable from one to five years in jail. That's what it says in the fine print. But I wonder how many people actually go to jail for that. Uh, But they also cite tax crimes. He could be very vulnerable on tax crimes. And, yes, people go to jail uh, when they're found guilty of tax crimes. The thing that I... I'm a little disappointed to see here there's nothing about lobbying for foreign countries, <laughs> and I think he did that. I think the stuff with Ukraine and Burisma and China, I want to see more of that in here, but but who knows? Keep your eye on it. I'll uh, go a little deeper tonight. Got to find out the rest of this. All right, been a while. Hi, Judith. You're in Brooklyn. How are you? Hey. Hi, Greg. Thanks for taking my call. How am I? I'm in disbelief. I mean, 
I can't believe it when I saw it. Ha- I mean, I was so hoping for Bernie to pull through. I w- I'm in shock. Um, you know, Greg, he was one of the best on the radio. He was um, deservedly so honored at the New Jersey Radio Hall of Fame a few years back. And um, I- I'm just in shock. I can't even cry because if I if I cry, I won't stop, I think. I had the honor of meeting him a few times. And I was lucky enough to actually do, I know you hate this, but I made him a surprise birthday party in the studio, the other studio at Two Penn Plaza. And uh, Jill was there then, and Sid, of course, and Matt Meany at the time also. And he was just, what should I tell you, he was just a, a, a very down-to-earth, didn't do anything of himself, really, really humble person. And you find out he was just brilliant. And I remember I even gave him a, uh, besides a beautiful strawberry shortcake that everyone loved, and he loved it too, I gave him a Mets hat. I'm a Yankee fan, but he's a Mets mm, uh, guy, yeah. so I got him a, a cap, a Yankee cap. was like orange with blue, and if you ever saw him, he had gorgeous blue eyes. And I still have that in my, I still remember him smiling, and Jill took a picture. And I, you know, I even wrote him some letters when he was not even knowing if something's wrong with him, but he was saying it on the air. And I wrote him a few letters. I spoke to a doctor and I gave him the cell phone and I was hoping maybe it was stem cells. I don't know. I'm the kind of person I try to help people. And I just, I was sure he'll pull through. I know what you mean. I was so shocked myself. It really was. uh, Yeah. But I know you were a huge fan and a huge supporter. And and thank you, Judith, certainly for all that. And and Bernie was uh, very, very appreciative of you and and everybody else. But let's let's face it, thousands they'll never meet. But uh, there are people like you who actually <laughs> went out of their way to make him a cake and get him medical advice. Thank you, Judith, very, very much. Thank you, indeed. Uh, Teddy is standing by in Long Island. Yes, Teddy. Teddy. Teddy, you ready? Yeah. I might be Eddie. Uh, yeah, Judith, sweet. Thank you so much for, like, having Bill O'Reilly on. That was a special guest. It really was. Bill gives us true stories. And I want to say something about Joe Biden. I think he's a piece of cardboard, Greg, Mm. with a talking head. Um, And um, just, I don't want to say a seed of evil, but, you know, we know good people like you, like my dad, who's a fireman, your dad, the police commissioner. And uh, when do we get through this? Joe Piscopo says to me, I, he was in uh, Italy. I talked to him the other day. He texted me. He doesn't want to come back and, and I hear the bad news every day. He we doesn't want to come back from Italy. We need Joe Piscopo. Get him, oh, tell him to come back to America. Hey, Teddy, hang in there. It's going to be great. Sorry, with too many calls today, everybody feels bad about Bernie. To be continued, everybody, I'll see you tonight on Newsmax at 10. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network.